Welcome to this pop-up podcast series, Magic and Mayhem, Discover the Secrets to Creating a Magnificent Book for Kids and Teens, with the Australian Writers' Centre, one of the world's leading centres for writing courses. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm the founder of the Australian Writers' Centre, and through this series I have the privilege of bringing you a curated group of wonderful authors who all specialise in writing for children. You may have first heard them on our regular podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer. As this pop-up podcast series rolls out, you'll hear from authors who specialise in picture books, chapter books, middle grade fiction and young adult books. Some writers write across all of those age groups. Finally, we also hear from publishers of children's books, so you get a really great overview of the whole industry. In fact, you can kind of think of this podcast series as a wonderful library that's ideal for anyone who's interested in writing for children or young adults. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're interested in writing for one or several of the age groups that cover children and young adults. But make sure you listen to all of the episodes because you will discover ideas and techniques that you can apply to your own creative process from all of them, regardless of what age group you're writing for. Tanya McCartney is definitely someone worth listening to if you have any interest in kids' books. Tanya has worked in magazines and publishing for 30 years, and her name has appeared on more than 40 books. If that wasn't enough, she's also the founder of the Kids Book Review and the 52-week Illustration Challenge, and has won many, many prestigious awards. In this interview, Tanya talks to Alison Tate, who is usually my co-host on our top-rating weekly podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, where we interview authors across all genres and ages. Tanya tells Alison how she has come to focus on non-fiction. It's not something you usually think about in picture books, but Tanya has found a great niche writing fact-based books for really little kids. Tanya also talks about how she took up drawing again later in life and has now gone on to illustrate some of her own books. As someone who has started making art recently myself, I was really interested to hear about Tanya's journey. She really committed to her illustration practice, working hard at it for more than two years before she approached a publisher. Now, she has illustrated some of her own books and no one is more surprised than she is, but of course, she has worked very hard for her success. Also, have a listen out for Tanya's tough love. Nothing moves fast in the publishing business. You have to have a lot of patience, that's for sure. Tanya McCartney is an award-winning author of 23 books for children and adults, an illustrator and an editor, and founder of Kids Book Review, a 100% voluntary children's literature and book review website. She also has more than 10 years' experience in book publishing, layout, and design. Her latest books out this month are both picture books, one called This is Banjo Patterson, illustrated by Christina Booth, and one, a revised edition, called Australian Story, an illustrated timeline, which is written and illustrated by Tanya. So she is a very busy lady. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today, Tanya. Thanks, Alison. It's lovely to be with you. All right. So let's start at the beginning. Where did your publishing career begin? How did this all happen? Well, uh, like so many of us authors, I started writing when I was, you know, probably in utero (laughs) and all through school, loved storytelling, loved writing short stories, loved illustrating. And, uh, and yeah, you know, English was my favorite subject. And then I got into the poetry in my late teens. And, and once I hit adulthood, I was really into contemporary fiction, you know, Tim Winton. And so I loved writing magical adult stories. And yeah, and I just 
kind of potted along the way and life got in the way and children and, and family and travel and all those kinds of things. And, and my actual launch into uh, the publishing world was in 1995 with an adult book about names. That was with Hotter Headline. Oh. Um, back in, yeah, 95, it was called You Name It. And um, I'm quite obsessed with etymology and names and sources and origins. So I wrote this really unusual book about that. And what made you do that? Kids. What made you start that? What made you think, I'm going to write that a book, book about this? <laughs> I don't, I, I'm, I'm a really a non-fiction person. I read stacks of fiction, but I just love facts and figures and, non, and non-fiction and history. So I guess it was just something that came to me. I'm not sure. Maybe I was secretly baby obsessed and was thinking about <laughs> baby names at the time. Who knows? Um, but I'd just been living overseas and I came home and just had this idea and it got two offers, two contract offers from um, Hot Headline and I think the other was Simon & Schuster at the time. So that kind of made me think, wow, you know, this is possible. I can become an author. So that was sort of my launching pad and it wasn't until we moved to um, Beijing in 2005 and I had young kids that I started writing for children um, and didn't look back. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your new books because these are both uh, both books for children and both non-fiction essentially, fact-based stories, correct? Yep. Yeah, I tend to write a lot of non-fiction. I'm, I'm starting to write more fiction, but um, back in, I think, 2010, I approached the National Library of Australia because we'd moved to Canberra in 2009. And I talked to them about all these ideas I had for non-fiction books. And obviously they have an historical bent and have, you know, they have to have a, a correlation to their online uh, collection of digital images and maps and all that kind of thing for their books. So I approached them about that and there was different ideas I had and they loved them and we've been slowly unrolling them ever since, what, six years later. Wow. So I've written quite a few and this is Banjo Patterson has just been released. That's actually a follow-on from This is Captain Cook. Yep. And I came up I came up with this idea, gosh, it would have been at least five or six years ago to do a biographical series of historical people but for very young children. So I'm not talking, uh, I know Random House have to meet the series uh, yeah. and have done amazingly with it. So slightly older, um, mid to upper primary and even young, young high school. But I wanted to do something for very early childhood. So we came up with this idea, Christina Booth and I, to do a story about Captain Cook's life, but in a way that was very, very young and was narrative and uh, had really gorgeous childlike illustrations and humour. And uh, that did very well. So we thought, let's do another. So we did Banjo. Uh, and uh, it's just out. It came out on the 1st of February and it's, uh, we're already getting some great reviews in because it's hard sometimes to follow up from a past book. Yes. You know, in yes. terms of will it be the same and we were quite nervous that people are saying it's, you know, it's just as good as a concept as, as Cook, which is such a relief. Oh, that's great. But Cook was so unique. Yeah, so so that's just come out. And Australian Story is uh, was released in 2011, I believe, and that was uh, – it's – Fundamentally, uh, a timeline of Australian history. It actually wasn't illustrated by me. Well, well, technically, it was in terms of I chose the imagery. Ah. Uh, But there was, yeah, I only had my name on the book because I had a designer do a little bit of uh, illustration compilation, but it was more just graphic design. So that's why only my name's there. But effectively, I chose all the imagery for it. 
So in a way, I guess, I illustrated in that way. Um, and that's a timeline of Australian history and it's been used a lot by schools. So they've reissued it to update 2016. Fantastic. Uh, and yeah, so that's, um, that's just released on the 1st of February too. So just going back slightly there, you said that you and Christina came up with the idea for the This Is Captain Cook together and now this is Banjo Patterson. Did you pitch that yep. as an author-illustrator story you know, right from the start, because often the story is what the, the you know the, what the sort of uh, what's the word the rhetoric is that you know you go a writer would just go with the story you don't take the illustrator or the illustrations with you the publisher likes to choose the illustrator is that yeah not what happened here well what happened was I had as I said I had come up with the idea quite a long time ago and, yeah. and the, the library has so many uh, provisions that it needs to fill because it's books so you know. Um, uh, are quite, they're quite intensely done and they yeah. have to be done in a certain way and um, you know have that lovely historical bent. So I came up with the idea a long time ago and they liked it. So it developed, I actually created the text myself on my own and worked right. with an editor and then I recommended Christina because right. she's a friend and I love her work and I thought her style suited the book yeah. and of course it does. Yeah. So I approached her and she said, great. So we got on board and the great thing that we were able to do, which as you said, doesn't often happen. Often a publisher will appoint uh, an illustrator to text and the you know, the, the author might not even see anything other than the odd rough until the end result. I think that's slowly shifting, particularly as authors become, uh, you know, do more of their own illustrating, which is happening more and more. Yeah. But it's slowly shifting. And so Christina and I were able to work directly with each other. And this was of enormous benefit because by talking to each other about how we could do this visually, we came up with this idea that I wanted to have children playing the roles of Captain Cook's life. So I didn't want any adults. I just wanted kids playing the roles of Cook and his wife and his sailors and everyone else. So, uh, so when we talked about children playing the role, Christina said, what about a school play? And I went, oh my goodness. So we came up, so she came up with the, I came up with the idea of having them play the roles and she came up with school play. And that just went on from there, collaborating together, chatting. And I think when, when two creators are able to come together and work directly, I think a third, almost third entity comes in. It's almost like a creative presence that's, that's, you know, that's that's like a third layer that adds so much nuance and creativity and cleverness to a story and a seamlessness that I'm not sure you can get when the collaborators can't work it all together. Mm, interesting. Well, so yeah. As an, as an author illustrator, you have created several books on your own and you've also done several with other illustrators. Like how do you mm. know when a project needs a co-creator, like it needs that creative third presence, so to speak? Well, I think that um, in terms of whether I illustrate something or not, it depends on how confident, <laughs> confident I'm feeling right. uh, and how inspired I am. So there's certain books. I'm working on some books with Jess Rackleft at the moment who uh, did Smile Cry with me for EK Books. And uh, she's a phenomenal illustrator. And there are certain texts that I've written that I don't want to illustrate, right. uh, whether it's that I don't feel I can, whether I'm not... I just envisage her illustrations. Same with Christina, I envisage hers. Same with Andrew Joyner when we did the book for the National Library of Australian Kids Through the Years. I could see his illustrations for this text. So mine don't necessarily suit the text. And, of course, that's what publishers do, don't they? They yeah. look at a text 
right, this would be perfect. This is why publishers generally don't like people to send in illustrations with their text because they want to have that creative process deciding what the look should be. And they're professionals. They know what they're doing. So I look at certain texts, I think, not that's not mine, that's definitely whimsical Jess or that's definitely painterly Christina or cartoony Andy Joyner, you know? So okay, so really you have depends. to know your own... You, you, I guess it's as much about knowing your strengths and weaknesses as anything else, yeah? Oh, absolutely. And, and also your inspiration. When you approach an illustrator with a text and you say, you know, here's this book, do you want to illustrate it? You don't want them coming back thinking, yep, I need some money, I'll do this. You want them coming back going, oh, my God, this made me cry. Or, or this is so inspirational, I'm already seeing full-page spreads, what about if we did this? You want someone on board who injects nuance and passion and creativity into the story. You want them to want to do it, not mm. just as a job. Mm. You know what I mean? Because it doesn't work that way. If, a, if an illustrator takes a text and just draws what's in the text, that's when picture books lose their magic. You need an illustrator that comes on and goes, oh, my goodness, I see this. And indeed, the illustrators I've worked with, I've changed text to suit their illustration. It's so good. Oh, there you go. So, and you can't do that, you know, otherwise, unless you collaborate. When did you start out illustrating, though? Like, I mean, you talked about the fact that you'd been, you know, a writer since in utero, but at what point did you start doing <laughs> illustrations and think, I can illustrate well enough to do one of my own books here? Well, I had always illustrated through my childhood and in my teens, I was prolific. I, I wanted to be a fashion designer. So I used to oh. just basically draw, go through Vogue and just draw pictures of women in beautiful clothing. And I would do it every day. I was so prolific. And through my early 20s, when I traveled, I'd do a lot of sketching as I traveled. And then, uh, yeah, life got in the way and I kept writing, but I lost my illustration. And I used to do, so funny, I used to do... Uh, school visits with kids and I'd talk about illustrating and, and writing and I would actually have as one of my presentations I would say because kids would say why don't you illustrate your own books and I'd say because I can't draw mm. and I honestly Alison I honestly believed I could no longer draw wow. because I hadn't p picked up a pencil for 25 years so I thought I'd lost it and I would do this I had this little sort of stick figure of myself like a self-portrait and I'd say to the kids uh, you, um you know, I'm so bad. I'm so bad at drawing. Do you want to see my latest self-portrait? You're not allowed to laugh. You're not allowed to laugh. And, of course, I'd burst out laughing and I'd pretend to cry. <laughs> and so, it's you know, it, I would literally, I literally believed I could no longer draw. And then when I hit my 40s, a couple of my illustrator author friends, I was so inspired by them and I've always been obsessed with illustration, massive picture book collection and illustration collection. And I'd say to them, you know, something's missing. I want to create again. And so a couple of my friends in Encouraged me. I started painting, and then I started the fifty-two week illustration challenge. Oh yes, as a personal challenge to create to a theme one image per per week for a year. Wow! And I committed to it, and I told a couple of friends about it, and they said they wanted to do it. And then Dee White said to me, "You need to put this on Facebook, create a group." I said, "Oh, no one will join." She said, "Go on, just try it." I set it up within two weeks. We had uh, something like 350 members from around the world. Within a month, we had over a thousand. Uh, we now have nearly, I think, five and a half to six thousand people. Wow! After we're in our third year, but it's uh, but we vet very carefully. We'd probably have forty thousand people if we didn't vet, because it's a secure, safe place to practice art, and it's non-promotional. It's fully creative. It's non-critical, and kids, grandparents, people from all walks of life create, and 
I was one of them. Al, I was someone that committed. And after two and a half years, I was drawing to a level where I felt I could approach a publisher. Wow. And I did. And I got a contract a week later. And wow. that was Australia Illustrated. Yeah. So, you know, it just goes to show if you commit and, and have passion and practice, practice, practice and put those hours in, I could not even tell you how shocked I am that I'm an illustrator now. It's just... <laughs> It's bizarre to me. I'm like, what? It's like a it's like the Donald Trump thing. I've woken up and gone, huh? You know, when am I going to wake up? Is this a dream? Is it a nightmare? Uh, but it's not. It's real, and it's just because I committed and I and I honed my skills. So, so there you go for the, all the kids out there. I was going to say. So if there's any author illustrators out there, where do they find the group? Is it 52 week illustration challenge? Is that what it's called? Yeah, just on Facebook. We have a blog too, but if you just Facebook it, we've got a regular group page that you have to ask to join. Yeah. And then we have a community page where people can interact and post things and actually self promote or okay. post links. Terrific. But within the group, yeah. So that's sort of anyone can post there. But in the group, you have to ask to join. It's a closed group, so you have to be approved because we don't want spammers or yeah. you know crooks or anything in there and there's been plenty yeah. so uh and it's a wonderful environment people have honest honest to goodness it's stunning what's occurred we exhibited for arts bookfield in perth which is a leading exhibitor of public art in the world wow. we've had people completely change careers we've had got lost count of the book contracts uh, and artistic contracts and job changes and life changes people have made. So I so encourage, yeah, I encourage anyone who's, who's drawing to get in and have a look and join up because it's a, a great group. Okay. So you've written for both adults and children, but you've definitely skewed toward children's books over the past, <laughs> you know, what, nine or ten years. How and yeah. why did that, like why, do you still write for adults at all or is it all about kids now? I, I actually, uh, I think I've done about four or five adult books and I really do love doing that kind of thing, but the children's stuff's overwhelmed me because it's an amazing industry with incredible mm. people and the creative scope is phenomenal and writing for children really pushes you because it's not easy. Mm. I would argue that it's it's harder than writing for adults because children are so open and honest and critical and you have gatekeepers and you have word counts and you have uh, so many limitations that you need to work around while providing magic and comprehension and all these sorts and, and educational properties. It's a real balancing act. So I find the challenge phenomenal. And I, I started in kids' books because as an 11-year-old, I don't know if, if you remember, Albert, remember the glory box when you were like 11 and you'd put all your you know, tea sets and, oh. and I don't know if you're too young for this. No, I'm just thinking I, I, I remember my I, – I, I'm – Pretty like my, I remember my my grand talking about a glory box and my mum, you know, but it was I'd never actually had one. But I remember she gave, I remember my grandma gave me a, a doll that was all dressed up as a bride and told me to put it in my oh glory my box. Goodness, I know it's amazing. Well, I'm it showing is. I'm showing my age here, but yeah. I had one, so so I ended up uh, filling it with picture books. So that was a sign of things to come. So wow. I've had a picture book obsession for a really, really long time and have a massive collection now. And I just dreamt of doing my own. So when we were in Beijing, my kids were two and four when we arrived and I had a lot of extra time. I was working as a magazine editor, freelance, and I um, decided to write a children's book because I just adore them and had dreamed of doing it and that was Riley and the Sleeping Dragon and that was a book about Beijing and that mm. just took off and became a bestseller around Shanghai and Beijing amongst the 
expat community because it was in English, obviously. Mm. And then when I came home, it did well and things just went on from there. And I fell headlong into this industry and it is just the most incredible ride. I, I, I absolutely love it. I think I can, as my kids get older, we were chatting before we started recording about this. I think you know, you're right for who you are sort of, who you've got in your life at the time. Mm. So I started with younger picture books and I'm gradually going up through junior fiction. My goal now is middle, middle fiction. Mm. Uh, and then maybe YA and then maybe back to adult eventually. We'll see. <laughs> the life cycle we'll see when of I the grow writer. Up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a lot of people do start out writing picture books because they think that they're easy because they're short, right? I mean, I know we've mm-hmm. had this, you see this a lot. So how long mm. does it actually take you to create the text for a book? And then what happens after that? Well, I think writing the text for a picture book can take 20 minutes or 20 years. Mm. I know Dallas Clayton wrote uh, an amazing book. Uh, he's, in a, uh, he's been touted as the American Dr. Seuss, mm. and he wrote this wonderful book for his son. And the book, and I think it was called the, um, Everything is Awesome or something. Mm. And I uh, should know because it's been huge. He's gone on to write others. And he wrote that in 20 minutes. I've written texts in 20 minutes as well. Of course, they don't end up, you end up working on them, you mm. know, you edit them and hone them and whatever, of course, later. So you can, once you're in the mode and you understand the rhythm and uh, the way a picture book works, you can write them quite quickly, but then there's a lot of honing. Mm. Some people take 20 years or more to write a picture book. For me, I would say creating a new picture book text uh, and then liaising with an illustrator to final can take anywhere from around nine months to about 18 months. Mm. And then from there, uh, of course, you know, then you have printing and publication and the rest of it, which I know that especially overseas uh, distributors need really long lead times. So we mm. might have something, I think we've got books coming out in June, Tinder and I that are going to be in, uh, overseas as well. And we had to get them covers out, I think, last August. Oh. So the long lead time to getting book covers out and blurb out and that kind of thing. So yeah, the actual process, I say roughly a year, but that's that's only because I've worked with a lot of smaller publishers. I think bigger publishers, it can take longer sometimes. It depends on the, you know, their schedule, depends on how fast the illustrator is as well. Some illustrators are very fast. Uh, Christina's super fast. Um uh, others are not so fast. I won't mm. mention who, but no. if he's listening, he might know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's um, a little secret for yeah, us. It, it, yeah, it's all dependent, I guess, on, on what you're creating, how much detail, that kind of thing. And with the National Library books, of course, not only do you have editing uh, and liaising with the illustrator, but you have fact-checking to your eyeballs. Mm. I mean, Australian Story, the first version of Australian Story back in 2011 took 18 months of wow. fact-checking wow. and historians we had. Yeah, it took forever and it had to because it was a slew of small facts. Mm. So we had to make sure they were absolutely accurate. So, yeah, so it really varies. Do you think that time factor is a part of the publishing process for books, children's or adult, that takes new authors by surprise sometimes? Do you think that that's something that, that – I mean, I, I know that when I first started, you know, writing uh, – novels and you know uh, books instead of you know freelance writing and stuff like that it I couldn't believe mm. how long everything took I still can't believe how <laughs> so I painful. cannot believe how much waiting around is involved do you think that I <laughs> uh, still still look at me years later yeah. I'm still like just rolling yeah. my eyes um do you think yeah. that that's something that new authors are often surprised by 
absolutely. And I think the the, the lead up as well, the lead mm. up to vaccination is probably what they misstep on the most because uh, every week I have someone contact me and say, how do I get my book published? And I say, yeah, I've just written it last night. Got this great idea. Never written in my life. I know it's going to be a bestseller and I will go back now. I used to be a little kinder. Now I'm a little rougher. With kindness, rough with kindness. Tell it like it is. Tough love. Back at, yeah, and I'll go back and say to them, what you do is you go back to your computer and you spend the next year writing and you write a new picture book every week and you study and you hone your craft and you redo and you rewrite and you write new stuff and you take courses in creative writing and you read picture books until your eyes bleed and you get to understand rhythm and cadence and uh, you know, uh, the layout and design of a book and how we need pauses and action and pauses and calm and, and they just, they don't like to hear that. They like to hear that it's just going to go straight to a publisher and be on the shelves within a week. It's, mm. I think that lead up to even being published, people are stunned by. I think it was Jackie French who said uh, it takes 10 years to get anywhere in this industry, particularly kids' industries, because everyone wants to write a kids' book, of course, mm. literally mm. everyone. So it takes a good, it takes three years to even think about, if you're good, like if you actually have talent and dedication, it takes three years to be even thought about being published, even have interest from a publisher, mm. and then up to 10 years to make an impact. I know Andy Griffith's first book took him 10 years to publish. He's actually said that. Mm. He's actually said it took me 10 years to get Just Kidding published and now mm. look at him. So it's real. We have to be patient. And you're right, once you're in there, it's, it can be really maddening. And the way I've dealt with it and other people, <clears throat> and I'm sure you do, Alison, is that you just focus on the next thing. Yeah. <clears throat> so you, you send it in or you get the draft in or you do an edit and then you get onto the next project and you just let it go because otherwise I think you'd just jump off a bridge yes so true so so true let's not we talk about jump we would never jump off a bridge it's not what not how we roll no we well, love what we do we do um so let's talk about kids book review which is a, a sort of kids review site that you a kids book review yeah. site that you founded like why did you when did you found it and why did you found it Right. Well, you already know about my picture book obsession. Mm. And just, I think it was just after I got back to Australia. Yeah, it was because we got back in early 09 and I started, I think, in April. And I wanted to do a blog about picture books and I would actually start reviewing my collection of picture books. So that's how it started. It was mm. just a blog. And then I, uh, as you do, you know people online, you interact with people with similar interests. And I started getting a few people come on board with me. They would start reviewing too. Then we approached, approached publishers. They were like, yep, we'd start getting free books to review. And it just steadily grew from there. And we now have, I think, I think we've had about a dozen, 10 to 12 people at any one time mm. uh, contributing. And mm. I think the team now is about eight or nine. Right. And yeah, and it's become the number one kids book review site on the web. I've had booksellers tell me it's the one they, the site they consult to help them decide on book buying, which was just, that made me cry. I thought mm. that was just incredible to hear that. Mm. So it just started out again as a passion. And like anything, the amount of hours and time and energy and love you put into something, it's going to grow. And we've just had some phenomenal people work on the site and build it over time. And I'm very proud of it. It has all sorts of reportage and resources and uh, interviews. And it's just, Shock a block uh, uh, with with Kidlet. It's heaven. 
Is it, Very proud. It is a fantastic site. But is it difficult to be a reviewer of children's books when you're also a creator of children's books? Yeah, well, first there's this conflict of interest thing mm. uh, with reviewing each other's books. And as, as a few of us on the site started to get, uh, you know, well-known in the children's book industry and started publishing books and getting more books published, we had to be very careful about publishing each other's books. Mm. So we'd have some people that were just new to the site maybe review our own. I don't think there's anything wrong with us having our own books on the site. No. We are, it's a small reward for the work we put in, so I have no shame about doing that. We do... My books are reviewed. The other team members' books are reviewed, of course. Uh, but we cover, we support and cover so many, so many, mostly mm. Australian and, of course, around the world. Uh, so, yeah, it is um, it is difficult. And also because, you know, you, you reach a point in your career where you want to create and you don't want to necessarily do so much else. I'll never stop helping mentoring and helping people you do it so many people do it within the industry and I think that's so vital to give back and to support others mm. uh, it does have a flow and effect and it is it's a feel-good thing and it's so important to do uh, so there comes a time though when you need to change gears and that's what I've recently done and I've changed gears and yeah I was gonna say that because you've, you've actually <laughs> recently stepped back from it haven't you in the sense that you yeah yeah, I have. It was really hard. It was about um, <clears throat> it was about three years coming. I've been talking about it for a really long time, and because KBR is my baby, and I love it so so much, and I love the people that um, <clears throat> write for the site. I'm going to have a drink of water, Al. Sorry. Um, <clears throat> I love the people that write for the site, and it's it's really really hard to give up on something that you put so much time and energy in into and that you love but I knew that I needed to stop so that I could focus in another direction and focus on my own work mm. and uh, like anything the more time you put into something the greater success you have so it was just my time and the other reason I stepped away is because I really believe that other people need to be running sites like this because it's been of such incredible benefit for me to found and run KBR it's just been a phenomenal ride and I know that it's directly benefited my work mm. and it's time for someone else to benefit from that and the amazing Dimity Powell who is a children's author in Brizzy has taken on the managing editor role and she's just flying with it and she deserves it. She, mm. she It's perfect for her and where she is in her career and she has brand new books coming out, her first picture books coming out so it's ideal for her and She's got a passion for supporting others, so she's perfect for the role. It's her time. Fantastic. Yeah. Mine, mine's over. <laughs> <laughs> All right, So, you, but you still have a blog, um, which is full of helpful advice for new authors, and your website you know, shows off your illustrative skills. It's quite a deep, um, comprehensive website. Has that online platform developed organically over time, or is it something that you've recently put conscious effort into? It has developed organically. It's shifted and changed. When I first did the blog, it was more about life. So I do lots of you know, gardening and travel and cooking and crafting and all that kind of thing. And uh, and then over time, it's become more about children's books and uh, being the author and illustrator. So now it's more of a resource mm. for creators, for emerging creators, which I feel really passionately about, sharing knowledge mm -hmm. and being there for other people because... That's how when we help others, we help ourselves mm. and 
it's just, it's a wonderful thing to do. We need to do it more. And there's always enough to go around. So so more more and more, it's become more about industry mm-hmm. rather than about my own personal life. Although I do a little bit every now and then if we travel or something like that, yeah. Mm, okay. <clears throat> so how many projects do you actually work on at any one time? Because you do have, you have a lot of books out and I know that you have a lot in the pipeline. So how do you how do you juggle that schedule? Like, how do you keep track of what's where and how it needs and you know getting the writing done? You know, within the timeframes that you have. It's all up here. <laughs> I'm tapping my forehead. Are you pointing to your head? Yeah, <laughs> I, I am. I'm tapping my forehead. It's all up here for now. Uh, but yeah, I think it's like we were saying about how there's there's so much vacant time in an author's life while you're doing all the waiting, mm. whether it's waiting to hear back about a contract, whether it's waiting to, for production for the illustrator or to be published or whatever. So I tend to fill that time quite well. So I do tend to have a lot going on at once. Uh, I've just finished two books in the Kids' Year series with Tina Snurling, so they're going to print shortly, I think mm-hmm. Monday. And uh, and so that's I've, I'm still sort of doing little tiny last-minute Oh my goodness, we found an error of things. So that's sort of going on now. And started, I think I've got three, I'm sort of mid production with one book with Christina for the National Library. I'm just about to start a major illustration commission for the library. I've just met with them yesterday about the content. Um, I've got two junior fiction that I'm pottering with that I'm waiting to hear back on. So there's a lot of different things. A couple of more books with Jess Rack left we're in production with now. Mm. So I tend to just do. You know, I'll dedicate one day to just getting that section done and then I'll start something else uh, the next day. Uh, I'm also self-illustrating an uncontracted book, which is kind of really an intense thing to do when you dedicate that much time and not wow. have a contract. Mm. So I, so if I have a free day open and I think, right, that can wait, I would, I'll focus on that one thing and then the next day uh, something will come in and I'll have to deal with that. And so it's just a balancing act, I think. And so far, so good. I'm, I, tend, I seem to be coping okay. Um, but I, I try to put it – I try to carve things out so that I'm not – uh, desperate to get something finished. So I leave myself plenty of padding and plenty of time. Do you have set sort of working hours for in your day or like, you know, do you write, you know, are there certain, you know, what's the rhythm, I guess, of your, of your working day? Well, I try to get all the, um, <clears throat> sorry, I've got the frog in my throat this morning. <clears throat> I try to get all of my uh, admin done first thing. So I'll catch up on emails, reply, uh, you know, pay bills, do all that kind of stuff, put receipts away and try to get all of that boring stuff done first. And then from there, it's whatever brings itself to me that day. And oftentimes, oh. as you well know, suddenly the editor's sent through, oh, my, I've got to fix this or whatever. So obviously I'll deal with anything urgent. But I tend to have full days. I'm so lucky I'm able to work full time from home. Yeah. So I have... I probably work at least five or six days a week and that depends again on whether or not I'm in production or deadline or whatever. Uh, But I do work very hard. So I'll probably work from maybe eight through to eight. So I probably do 10 to 12 hour days. Um, But interspersed, you know, broken up with a trip to the kitchen and the Tim Tam packet and that kind of thing. Um, so Or a quick walk or a yoga workout or something. So it's not solid, but Mm. it's, it's 
getting there. Mm. But oh, it's not work to me. It's like you. It's not work. Yeah. This is my passion. And yeah. I don't. I see it as play. I get to play all day. Mm. Uh, so the work is when I have to publicise and do all that kind of stuff. That's the work. <laughs> the promo. The <laughs> dreaded promo. Yeah, the dreaded promo. All right. All right. Well, okay. Well, um, let's finish up for today with our final question, which, of course, is our three top tips for aspiring authors. What and or illustrators, I guess. So uh, what do you want for us, Tanya? Well, the first one is to hone your craft. So spend a lot of time writing, a lot of time illustrating. I know it's so boring and basic and people go, but it's so, so true. If I can reconnect with my art after 25 years of not drawing a stick, well, one stick figure for a presentation at school, uh, and suddenly have a book published with full illustration, then anyone can do this. So just dedicate the time to crafting and honing your your work whether you write or illustrate the other one which we've touched on is to really give back to your industry so a lot of people focus on their audience so they write for their audience they uh, think about their audience how they're going to get into their audience's ears into their market's ears and eyes I I reckon flip the switch a little and talk, and think about getting involved in industry rather than worrying about your market mm. because industry is your support. If you've got a brand new book that you've written and you throw it into an ocean, it's going to go flip and mm. sink. If you have a, a you know a ten thousand strong industry behind you that you've developed genuine relationships with over ten years who rub your back when you rub theirs, who love and support your work, you throw that book in that ocean, it's going to make a splash. Mm. So just opportunity, support, networking, uh, collaboration, all of these things would come with focusing on industry, sharing what you know, sharing your knowledge with others. Uh, They will share it with you. You will grow so rapidly and you'll have incredible opportunity, outstanding opportunities if you can do that. So focus on industry. And I guess the last one would be to stop worrying about filling a market niche or a gap or this amazing idea you've had that's going to blow everyone out of the water, uh, that you are going to make millions from, and instead listen to your heart and write from your heart. Yes, learn how writing is done, learn about plot, learn about character development, all that technical stuff, yes. But then write from your heart and write what you love and what you're passionate about because that provides authenticity. Publishers want authenticity and my God, your reader, whether they're two or 102, want authenticity in what they're reading so that they can feel connected, emotionally secured in the book and want to read more from you. So just write your passion and what you love. Fantastic advice. Thank you so much for your time today, Tanya McCartney. And of course, if people want to have a look at Tanya's fantastic website, you can go to tanyamccartney.com. If you want to check out Kids Book Review, you can go to kidsbookreview.com, kids-bookreview.com. But we'll put all the links in the show notes. And um, yeah, best of luck with that crazy schedule of yours. Thanks, Alex. So lovely to chat with you. I hope you enjoyed the interview. I'm Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, and I'm the internationally published best-selling author of two epic adventure series, The Mapmaker Chronicles and The Ataban Cipher. My books are available in Australia, the US, the UK, and other territories, and are perfect for young readers aged nine or older. 
Find out more about me and my books at alisontait.com. That's A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T dot com. I just love that interview. Tanya has so much knowledge about kids publishing and she doesn't hold anything back. Like a lot of hopeful writers, Tanya has been writing since forever, but she never sat back and just wished for the best. She's always been committed and proactive in finding her success. One thing that I think Tanya really exemplifies is the idea of finding your niche. You hear this all the time, but it can be hard to understand on a practical level. Tanya has focused on kids' nonfiction, which is an underserved market. She hasn't been afraid to approach publishers and say, look, this is what I think we can do. What's interesting is Tanya doesn't think writers should do this deliberately. You have to write what you love. It always has to start. It has to come from a place of passion and interest or it won't resonate with readers. It's so true. And of course, Tanya is so generous about helping emerging writers and illustrators. As she says, you have to give back to your community. Through her blog, the Kids Book Review website, and her Facebook groups, she's constantly connecting to other creatives. If you can nurture those relationships, you'll always find support when you need it. If you're keen to learn the magical ingredients that will set your picture book apart, well, perhaps, like Tanya, you have a passion or interest area that you think would make an amazing book idea. Then the five-week online course, Writing Picture Books, with the Australian Writers' Centre, will fast-track your story's success and help you to unleash your creativity. Go to writerscentre.com.au slash picturebooks to find out more. So that's writerscentre.com.au slash picturebooks. So many of our graduates from that course have gone on to publish picture books, not just one, but many. You've been listening to Magic and Mayhem with the Australian Writers' Centre, For awesome writing tips and short story competitions, including our very awesome Furious Fiction monthly competition, and incredible courses that you can do in person or online, join our wonderful and friendly writing community. The best way is to go to writercentre.com.au and sign up to our weekly newsletter. That's writercentre.com.au. 